I must keep going. There's not a moment to waste. If I hurry, I may just get there in time. My friends' lives are hanging in the balance. I hope word spreads quickly when I arrive. They'll never believe the rescuer is on his way. Faster, faster, I climb from the top of the ridge. All in the city will hear the news and know that their peace has come at last. Heat builds up in my lungs with which each step closer, nearer and nearer the summit. The time of our redemption is now. Will they sing with joy or will they not believe me? Faster and faster I climb. With the dawn sun breaking through, it's a new day in Israel, a new chance. A fresh start, generations of darkness finally eclipsed in an instance. A few more paces and the whole world will soon know and everything will be different. Will they dance with joy at the news? Will they leap with shouts of victory? At last, I've reached the top. Oh, deep breath. For this is good tidings of great joy that everyone must hear. With a loud cry, I shout the news over and over, Zion, Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Proclaim peace. Tell the world the news. Your God reigns. Your God reigns.
Well, good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that y'all are here with us this morning, and we, it's very fitting that we're celebrating um, joy in Advent because we get to celebrate with a couple of baptisms this morning, and so with their family and friends and all of y'all and all of y'all watching on the live stream, we get to celebrate faith, and we're super excited about that. This is Isabella, and she is a follower of Jesus. And it's also very fitting that we're talking about joy today because this girl has I mean, she is filled with the joy of Christ. It's very evident that Jesus lives in her because of the joy that she has and the way that she lives her life. And so it's really, it's an awesome honor and privilege to get to baptize her today. So Isabella, you're telling me and all these people that you are a follower of Jesus and that you want to be obedient to him by being baptized here today. Well, I'd love to pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for Isabella. I thank you for her faith in you, the way that she loves you, the way that she loves uh, her friends and others around her, the way she loves her family. And Jesus, I pray that your word would be uh, just the, the backbone of her life, that she would go to you and she would run to you and that others around her would see the joy that she has and that they would come to know you because of her faith. Father, we're so grateful for her and that she's chosen to follow you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's my privilege and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah, let's celebrate that. Well, I'm excited to introduce my friend Cindy Bucknam to you. Cindy, come on down. When we first started talking about this today, I said, well, Cindy, during COVID, we're really not supposed to baptize people who aren't family members back to back. And she said, we're like family members. That's how close our families are. And so, Cindy, that's just so awesome to hear and so exciting. I said I was going to stand over there, but I can't stand to be so far away from you while we're doing this. Cindy grew up in a Christian home, and just now when we were in the back visiting, she was talking about her mom and what a spiritual influence her mom was. Um, her mom was an adult when she came to know the Lord, and the impact that had on you has been incredible. And as Cindy's continued to just walk with the Lord, um, it was as Cindy was an adult that she really began to understand what it means 
to walk with Jesus. And so she's got friends and family members with her here today who've supported her in that. She's got women here in, in this church and at other churches in our city who've encouraged her. And so it's just a picture of the kingdom, of Christ's kingdom. Um, it's not about a church and it's not about a person except for the person of Jesus. And that's what we've seen in you. And so Cindy, is it your story to your friends and family here and to the church here gathered, as well as those who've joined us on the live stream? Um, that you've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for your salvation, and you wish to follow him in obedience and believer's baptism. Yes. Well, then it's my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Walk in newness of life.
got to experience two baptisms this morning. What a great morning to get to worship together. <laughs> um, we're thankful that you're here with us this morning, whether here or online. We're glad you're here. My name is Margo, and I have the privilege of getting to serve on both the women's team and the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And if you haven't yet given to the gift, don't worry, you still have a little bit of time. You have until December the 31st, and you can go on our website to find out more information. Christmas Eve services. We are so excited. We want to keep everybody safe this year. So we are not going to have just one virtual service, but two virtual services. There's going to be a traditional service and a family-friendly service. And you can watch one or both, or you can watch them as many times as you want to. So we're excited about that. Um, but after Christmas, we have women's Bible study that starts back. We'll start back in the first week of February, and we're going to do Jennifer Rothschild's 23rd Psalm. We'll meet on Tuesdays at 9 and 6.30. But registration goes up today, and we really, really need you to register. So please, go online and do that. Later in the service, we get to light the angel's candle of joy. And as I was thinking about joy, last week I went back in my office, and there on my desk, there was this little blue post-it note. And one of our leaders had taken just a few minutes and written the sweetest note to me, and it just brought great joy. And I'm going I'm to keep that note on my desk to remind me that it only takes just a few seconds to reach out and encourage those around us. And since this is the strangest Christmas that I can remember, I think there are probably tons of people out there that need to be encouraged. Will you pray with me? Father God, oh, Father, we're just so thankful that we got to be a part of two baptisms this morning. We thank you for sending your son Jesus here to this earth. Father, we love you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear those around us that might need to be encouraged. And Father God, help us to be, to find joy in the small things. In the precious, precious name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, Margo. I love this time of year um, for so many reasons, but one is I really enjoy Christmas songs and enjoy singing them in the car and, and singing them in worship alongside all of you here, everyone online. And um, one of the Christmas songs that maybe is not as familiar to us, um, and maybe even a little strange if we're, if we're not super familiar with it, is the song Little Drummer Boy that we're about to sing. Um, but I think it tells a really beautiful story. And so it reminded me of uh, this passage in Acts. Acts 17 says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so in this song, we see this fictitious character, this little drummer boy who is, is poor and doesn't have really any gift to bring that's of value. It says, 
he has no gift fit for a king, as if any of us do. But, but the idea in this song is that um, he, his heart is postured towards love of the Lord. And so um, as we sing this, let us remember that God does not need any, any gifts that we have. He just calls us to worship him with those gifts and with our heart. And so let's stand together and let's, let's worship uh, this morning.
Yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. 
morning, as we continue to celebrate with joy, as Rebecca lights the angel's candle of joy, and Mary Beth is going to read some scripture over us, let's be reminded that our ultimate source of joy comes through Christ Jesus, and we can rest in that this morning. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Good morning. They don't even know the prophecy. Now, if, you're, if you've never seen or read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of the Chronicles of Narnia, then you're like, what is going on here? Uh, what am I watching? Uh, let me catch you up on what's going on in this particular book and then the movie that was made just about 10 years ago. You see, Narnia is a, it's a land, it's a world, and it's filled with all of these creatures. And unfortunately, the world finds itself under complete darkness. It's been taken captive by this evil force, this white witch who has turned everything to ice and snow, like what Fayetteville will be later on today. It's going to look like Narnia, although it probably won't. Maybe it won't happen at all. It rarely does these days. Um, and so as the ice and snow have, they've engulfed this, this world called Narnia, they're they're looking for rescue. They're looking for something to come along. And you can hear it even in that clip. Something is happening. And you heard Mr. Beaver say it. He said, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And the, the kids go, well, who, who's, who's Aslan? You can see their confusion. And this is from the book. This is what Mr. Beaver says. He says, why don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But notice what he says in the, in the movie clip they had his wife saying, Mrs. Beaver, he says, but not often here, you understand. Never in my time or in my father's time even. But the word has reached us that he has come back 
And when he comes back, he will settle the white queen all right. The evil power will be dealt with because Aslan is on the move and the long winter is about to be lifted. That brings us to Advent. What in the world? Like, why, why are we starting here? I'm Garland, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. The, the, the handful that made it today, braving the elements, and for you joining us on live stream. Why are we starting here? See, when we think about the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Savior, what we're going to see is this prophecy, this ancient prophecy delivered to a people in exile. But there's news that has come that the king is on the move. And that's what I'm just calling this. We're gonna look at Isaiah 52, verses seven to 10. And what we're gonna see is the king is on the move. I hope you've noticed it from what we read earlier to the passage that we read. We've been saturating this already in this concept that the king is on the move. And here's our three uh, points, our, three, our, our outline that we're gonna work through just so you can take notes and, and you can reteach this to other people. First, we're gonna see the royal announcement of Isaiah 52. Then we're going to see the surprising result. We, we might even say the shocking twist. And lastly, that this will provide for us the joy that we all need and our world desperately needs. The king is on the move. Royal announcement, surprising result, and the joy we all need. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me. If you have a phone or something, get Isaiah 52 in front of you. You can Google it. If you don't have the Bible app, pull your Bible out. If you have a paper Bible, let's get down to it. Now, here's where we got to get our context. What's going on in Isaiah? If you've noticed, for the series, this Advent series this year, what we're doing is we've taken Isaiah 40 to 55. It is one long poem, Isaiah 40 to 55. And that poem was written by Isaiah to Israel when they find themselves in exile, when they find themselves under foreign oppressors, miles away from home, refugees with no hope and everything seems bleak. You open the scroll of Isaiah 40 to 55 and this poem is what you read. And that is our context. The people of Israel find themselves in Babylonian exile in the, in the 6th century BC. And these words from this scroll of Isaiah, this poem, Isaiah 40 to 55, is what we've been looking at for Advent. The New Testament authors, by the way, are steeped in this poem. Jesus is steeped in this poem. My hope is by the time you leave, you'll see why today. This poem is so amazing and it's so beautiful. With that in mind, let's look at Isaiah 52. We're gonna pick up the story. We'll pick up this poem right here, verse seven. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. This verb, as, as a, working as a participle here, those who bring good news, it's the Hebrew word beser, which in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's our word euangelizo. It's where we get our word evangelism. It's the same word. It means to bring a good announcement. Now, I recognize what Isaiah wants you to do here is he wants you to imagine a herald, somebody running up a mountain to deliver a message to those below. And I recognize we don't have that anymore. Like we have no need in 2020 for heralds to run with a message or to get on a horse and deliver a message long distances. It's something we don't need anymore. Now you just text it or you could DM it or you could make a video and send it and it gets there immediately. But you can imagine how much drama would be eliminated if all you had to do was text this poem. 
Like think even about in our American history. Remember Paul Revere's ride? Now, what were they looking for in the steeple? One if, you have to pull your mask down just a second. What is it? One if, and two if, Okay, so history people in the room, thank you for indulging me in that. Now, you can imagine how much less dramatic. Now, remember the story in the Revolutionary War. This is the very beginning. The Americans need a decisive victory early, or it might get really bleak for them. And this message, in delivering this message, is of utmost importance. And they're looking at the Old North Church. The scouts are watching out, to, out into the sea, into the land. And it's one if by land, two if by sea. And then here come the British by sea, two lanterns, send the messengers out. And Paul Revere, and by the way, it was hundreds of other riders, they had to go and deliver this message. It's important news. It's the function of a herald. And you can imagine how much less dramatic that story would have been if they could just put like two lantern emojis and send it in a text. Like it loses the power of that moment. And this is what's going on. Isaiah wants you to imagine somebody, a herald, bringing this news. And he says, how beautiful would that be as we languish in snow and ice of our exile? Here comes the messenger. I can't help. Every time I hear this passage or see this passage or think about this passage, I think about this moment in the two towers. I'm giving you C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. We went to Narnia and Middle Earth in the same morning which just tells me I'm a huge nerd. Uh, but anyway, if you think about, if you've seen or read Lord of the Rings all the way through, the second Lord of the Rings movie at the Battle of Helm's Deep, it looks, the odds look impossible. I mean, the orcs keep coming in and the keep seems to be on the verge of collapse. All hope is lost. But there was a promise at dawn, look to the east and the movie captures it so well. At dawn, as the sun pierces over the horizon, they look up, and there's Gandalf on the horse. And he's come with the, new, with the news that the rescue is here, and he rides down to victory. So you got to put yourself in the position of ancient Israel. In exile, the long, dark winter of their pain and captivity has set in, and it seems as if all is lost. Hope is lost. But here comes the messenger, and he has an announcement. That announcement is, in verse 7, is contained in four participles. These four participles amplify. You can put in your Bible if you take notes. One, two, three, four. This is the announcement. What is this amazing message that is coming? What is the good news or the gospel, the euangelion that he's bringing? Look at it. Four things. And man, I want to spend a lot of time on all four of these. We could do a whole talk on all four of these things. And you Hebrew nerds or Bible project nerds, you'll appreciate this. Just notice it. He says, number one, who shema shalom, who proclaim peace. Now, the concept of shalom in the Hebrew Bible is this. As opposed to disintegration, it's integration. As opposed to chaos and disorder, it's order and beauty. It's harmony, and God brings that harmony where there was disharmony. Number two, who you who besers, who brings good news. There's good tidings that are yours. This is the second time that word UN galitzo is used. You, gospel is used in this passage. Third piece of our announcement, third piece of content. Who shema Yeshua, who proclaim 
Salvation, Yeshua. Rescue is here. Hear the news. Rescue is upon us. Exile over. Fourth piece of content. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. And Scott stood right here and I thought did a perfect job showing that to us. Your God reigns. The king is on the move and he's coming. It's the announcement of this poem. And it shouldn't surprise us because I don't know if you've noticed, two weeks ago, Mickey began this poem and it began in the exact same way. Look at how this poem began. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for, when you see all caps, Lord, that's, that's our translators uh, trying to give you the divine covenant name of Yahweh. It's the creator God of Israel, Yahweh. In the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh. Make a highway for him because he's coming. The king is on the move. He's coming to us right now. The poem continues in 53 verse 8. Listen. Hey, watchmen on the tower, look. Look for him. Lift up your voices now that you've seen the herald is here and shout for joy because Yahweh, the creator God of Israel, returns to Zion. You'll see it with your own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For Yahweh, the creator God of Israel, has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. I love verse 10. And Yahweh, the creator God of Israel, will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. To lay bare means to, to, to display your power, your strength. In the sight of all the nations and all. This isn't just an Israel thing. All the ends of the earth will see the Yeshua, the salvation of our God. The king is on the move. Mr. Beaver said it this way, Aslan is coming, he's on the move. And he's the true king, not the white witch. He's the true king. And when he comes, he will settle the white queen. All right, now, taking us from C.S. Lewis to a Bible scholar. He's, the, he's a Bible scholar who works at Oxford in England. N.T. Wright, he says this about this passage. The expectations that the Israelites had was this. They were these. If Yahweh was visiting his people, if, if the king really was on the move, then that would mean that, notice these three things, the exile is over. That our enemy has been defeated, evil has been defeated, and that sins were forgiven. Conversely, if those things were happening, it would be the sign that Yahweh was returning at last. Exile over, enemies defeated, sins forgiven. Our king is coming, he's on the move. And this is the royal announcement of Isaiah 52 7 to 10. But here's Here's the problem. We have a bit of a problem. If those are our expectations of what will take place when Yahweh comes and visits his people, well, we gotta do a little bit of work historically, okay? And I'm a history person, so go here with me. Isaiah is writing his prophecy from about 730 B.C. to about 690. He's got a pretty long run. So we'll round that up to around 700 B.C. 
So Isaiah is writing this prophecy to be delivered to those who find themselves in exile. And sure enough, about 100 years later, the Israelites are carried away into exile. The Babylonian government, the Babylonian nation came in, destroyed the temple, carried away tens of thousands of Israelites into refugee camps all over the Babylonian empire. And there they sat in pain and despair, miles from their homeland. No hope of rescue. And sure, the message of Isaiah, that sounds good and all, but in 538, you know what happened? Yahweh, I guess this might be Yahweh coming back, but it sure doesn't seem like it because the Babylonians got conquered, but not by Israel, by Persia. And yeah, they let a few of the Jews go back to their homeland, but most of them still languished in exile. I mean, is this Yahweh coming back? Is this really it? And to make matters worse, the Greeks conquer the Persians and then the Romans conquer the Greeks. And in 63 AD, they conquer Jerusalem. And here, we, here again, the long winter of exile seems to be settling in. I mean, after all, it doesn't seem like Yahweh's the king. It sure seems like Caesar is. King of kings and Lord of lords, to him every knee must bow down. I mean, if this is Yahweh's visitation, it sure doesn't seem like it. I mean, what's the fulfillment of this prophecy? This is, look at the time here. We're talking double the length of time America's been around of them sitting there going, where's Yahweh? Where's the rescue? I thought we had good news of salvation and peace and the king, where is he? seems like the winter has set in, and it might last forever. I mean, where is this? Where's the end of the exile? Where's the new hope? Where's the evil being defeated, sin being forgiven? It's, it seems Yahweh must have gone back on his promise. But into this timeline and into history, we come to five or six BC. Now, time out on the date. Don't freak out, okay? Jesus was almost certainly not born in zero BC, or zero, I guess it wouldn't be BC or AD, just zero. Uh, he almost certainly wasn't born in zero. Uh, the, the medieval monk who calculated uh, our calendar, he got it wrong by about five years, but don't be mad. That's not bad. Like, if you think about it, that's pretty good. Here's how we know that uh, he almost certainly was born before uh, the year zero. The how we know is the Herod the Great that, take, that you see in your Bibles in the Gospel of Matthew, that Herod, we are really pretty sure historically, died in 4 B.C. So the Herod who, who uh, forces the killing of the babies in Bethlehem, that Herod uh, dies in 4 B.C. So almost certainly Jesus was born before 4 B.C. And if Herod is having all the babies killed below the age of two, it might mean he, is, he thinks Jesus is around two. So take two years off of that, and we have somewhere between 5 or 6 B.C. for the birth of Jesus. Don't freak out, okay? Uh, we can, we, what I appreciate about this is the Bible is not afraid of history. It's not afraid of the real world. This ain't mythology of something going on on some planet a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We're talking about real events in real history. All right, time back in. We're back in. Okay, so into this darkness and into this winter and into this exile in 6 or 5 B.C., we're going to get the surprising result of this prophecy. Notice it. 
And the, you're gonna, you're, hopefully, hopefully you'll see how steeped in Isaiah the New Testament authors are. And there were shepherds living out in the fear, fields nearby. Shepherds? Shepherds? This is, this is how the message of Yahweh coming back is gonna, come, is gonna transpire with shepherds? They get the announcement, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Of course they're terrified. I mean, shepherds? Like, this is blue collar of blue collar. They don't have any nobility. They're not important. They're smelly and stinky. They're not respected. And to shepherds, the angel of the Lord appears. Not Caesar up in Rome, not some powerful general, not some celebrity or some great orator in the first century. Shepherds watching their flocks at night. I mean, this is already a shocking beginning to the fulfillment of this prophecy. And then we're told, look at the location. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, yeah, sure, the town of David's got some ancient stuff associated with it. So I guess that's kind of cool, but it's a sleepy little village. Bethlehem, this small little village, really? I mean, if I want to make a royal proclamation in the ancient world, I'm going to Rome. That's where you make important announcements. All the announcements about kings in the first century, they took place in Rome. And maybe, okay, maybe you can't get to Rome. Alexandria, look how impressive that would be. Maybe you go to Antioch of Syria or Ephesus. Go somewhere metropolitan. Sleepy little Bethlehem. And here comes this shocking twist. I bring you good news. By the way, it's the same word that Isaiah used, the same Greek word. I un galitzo. I bring gospel. To, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior. Now that's that, the, the, the Hebrew idea of the Yeshua. Uh, Yeshua has been born to you. Let's do some work on these last two words. He is the Messiah. The Hebrew word is Mashiach. The Greek word for that is Christos. Messiah and Christ are synonyms. When you see Jesus Christ, the Lord, in your Bible, just think, Jesus, Messiah, the Lord. What is the Messiah? The Messiah is the Jewish expectation of the king who would come, eliminate their exile, and defeat their enemies. They're waiting for this Mashiach, the Messiah, to come and rid them of their oppressors and bring their kingdom back. Where is he? The angels say he's here. What about the word Lord? It's the word kurios. Now, that word is used in the first century. You know who gets that title? It's, it's, a, it's a frequent word, but you know who the ultimate kurios of kurioses is? Caesar. He's the king. And here comes the announcement. A savior who is the Old Testament answer and the true king of all the kings is here. Announcements to shepherds in Bethlehem. It's going to get even weirder. Look at the next verse, verse 12. It says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying where? In a manger. 
Now, don't go pottery barn on me. I think a lot of us, when we think manger, we think this really cozy, nice, wooden carved thing. It's really pretty and beautiful. You almost want to sleep in it because it looks so cozy and nice. That's not, what a, that's not what a manger looks like. This is what a manger looks like, all right? This is an excavated first century manger in Israel. It's a feeding trough for animals. You tracking with me? Goats and sheep and donkeys. You ever seen a feeding trough for animals? Think of what's in there. That's a manger, okay? This king, this Messiah, who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Yeshua, the Savior, that king, he comes in a feeding trough for animals. Like, what? It's a shocking twist. It's a surprising fulfillment. How can this be the answer? How can this be the fulfillment of the royal announcement of Isaiah? Surely not. If we can see it, if you can get how this is the fulfillment of Isaiah, then it unlocks for us something. It's the joy that we all need. Now, here's the reality. I look at the Western culture, the American culture, and we're all desperately trying to find some sense of happiness or our, our, our sense of equilibrium or zen. We're trying to find pleasure. We're trying to find comfort. We're trying to find what, things that are going to give us happiness. And the, the problem with us in the way that we try to find our happiness in the Western American culture is this. We have tethered our happiness to the circumstances that are around us. Don't believe me? Just think of how easy we slip into this mentality. If I could just get to my vacation, I'll be happy. If I could get that next promotion, if I could get my 401k to this number, if the stock market would hit this number, if we could get this person elected or that person elected or these laws enacted, we'll find happiness. If I could get that kid potty trained, I'll be happy. If I could just, and think about what we do. We tether our happiness to our circumstances. In fact, I would say that most of us, we don't consciously do this, but subconsciously, this is how we define happiness in America. Happiness is the presence of pleasing circumstances and pleasure and the absence of difficult or unpleasing circumstances. And therefore, we would define unhappiness as the presence of challenging circumstances and the absence of pleasing circumstances. And as long as we define happiness that way, if that's what we're shooting for, and we all do it, it's the way we've been trained. As long as we see happiness that way, you and I will never have true joy. You know what's worse? We... We actually, I know this is true because when we experience that happiness, you know, I think a lot of us have, maybe you're not like me, you have this gnawing sense deep down in you that it's only temporary. And at some point the high will wear off or this pleasant thing will wear off and there's this painful thing coming. We have this deep thing in our gut that knows it's not gonna last. The Bible offers, the Bible suggests a kind of joy that is impervious to circumstance, a kind of joy that is gritty and tough, a kind of joy that is untethered from circumstance, good or bad. And it's the, it's the joy that I think flows out of this story that the Bible is telling. Let's look at it. Go back to Isaiah 52. 
How beautiful are the feet, on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. He said, shout for joy, O Zion. Shout for joy, O Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see that this royal announcement of Isaiah 52 already had tucked within it the shocking twist, the surprising result. We looked at Isaiah 52, 7 to 10. But tucked away in this poem that we've been studying during Advent are four songs dedicated to a servant. And this is the servant of Israel. And that fourth of those four songs will be just three verses after our section. I want you to see this fourth servant song. It actually begins in Isaiah 52. Here it is, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Great, that's king language. Sweet, a king's coming, he'll be exalted. The servant will be exalted. Awesome, how? He'll be despised and rejected. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. We could do a, we could do a sermon series on verses 4 to 6. Look at it. Notice the he and us. Third-person pronoun, first-person plural pronouns. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, this, could, this summarizes the whole Bible right here. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But Yahweh, the creator God of Israel, has laid on this servant the iniquity of us all. Here's the story. There's a... There's a force, there's a power, there's an evil called sin, and it has enslaved the human condition. And it is the cause of all of the wounds and the betrayal and the selfishness and the greed and the injustice at a micro level and at a macro level, nations. And that power called sin is wreaking havoc on the human condition. What Isaiah is saying is, hey, Israel, the sin and the wounds and the pain and the brokenness and all of that will be laid on the servant. He will take the blow in our place. Now, here's the shocking, surprising twist. I think N.T. Wright is accurate. The exile will be over. The, truth, the enemy will be defeated. Forgiveness of sin has come. But the message of the Bible is this, and the message of Jesus will be this. It's not just the exile under Roman occupation, and it's not just the enemy called Caesar. It's the greater exile and the greater enemy, the exile that we experience under the power of sin with the king called sin that is inflicting his pain on all of the human condition. The story of Jesus is he has come to deal with that. Not just Caesar and not just Rome, but sin and death itself. That is why this king came in a manger. Later in Jesus' life, he will say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life, notice it, as a ransom for many. I think Lewis got it. You've seen the story. If I'm giving it away, I'm sorry. 
Aslan goes up and enables the power of all of the evil of Narnia to be taken out on him. And in that same way, Jesus will enable the full power of sin and death to take its best shot on him. The blow that you and I deserve to take, he says, I'll take it. Sin and death, take your best shot. And he bows his head into the cross. How does this unlock the joy that we all need? Here's how we close. The poem in Isaiah 53 to the servant didn't end there. Verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by, knowledge, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will make right, will bring into the family many, and he will bear their iniquities. He will suffer and then see the light of life. Here's the story that the Bible is telling. That in Jesus' resurrection as the servant of Isaiah, sin and death, having taken its best shot, the resurrection declares, sin and death, you have lost. You have been defeated. You took your best shot, and I conquered you. Do you see how that unlocks for us a joy that we desperately need? Because what could hurt us? What circumstance could rob us of that joy? Sin and death, you've been dealt with and defeated by the servant. It's no wonder that at Christmas we celebrate this joy. And I want you to see the shepherds. They hear news of good, they hear good news that will be great joy for all the people. And the shepherds left. They went back to their blue-collar jobs. They went back to their lack of nobility. They went back to their obscurity, praising God and glorifying him. You know why? They went back with joy because they saw the Messiah, the Lord, and it was theirs. That victory is now theirs. We've seen him. Is it yours? I'm going to invite the, the team to come back up here. If, if if it's not, if you're like, I don't think I know this story, then may I invite you, if you're watching at home with people that you're with or you're here right now, just tell them, I don't, I don't think I know that story and I, I want to know more about that story. I'm curious. I want that joy. And we would love to process that with you as a team in the prayer room. I'll be right down here at the bottom of the steps. The person that brought you, our pastoral team, we'd love to process with you. If you know that joy, it's yours, then I'm going to invite you we're going to sing in just a moment, but I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to declare together our joy that we have in him, that he receives the glory. So would you stand with me, and let's pray together and lift high the name of our Savior, Jesus, our Messiah, and our Lord Jesus. Yeshua is your name, salvation. And the angels brought this message of good news and now we bring this message of good news to our world. You are the Messiah. You are the King. And Jesus, we honor you right now in this, in this place and in this time. We love you, Jesus. We sing this to you. Amen. Let's sing.
Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, we've got a prayer room to your right. If you want to go there for prayer, there's also communion available. We love you guys. Have a great week of worship.